Hey everybody, welcome back to Off the Couch, where we take a closer look each week at the wide, weird, and wonderful world of running. I'm your host, Jonathan Ellsworth. I'm also the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Off the Couch is presented by CBG Trails, and the CBG Trails app is the only complete trail map app of Crested Butte and the Gunnison Valley, Colorado. So download the app today and start exploring. There is a very common narrative in the running and ultra running world about people who were struggling in life, then they found running, and that saved them from the bad track they were on. In other words, we often hear about the salvific power of running. But what happens when you've been an endurance athlete for over 20 years already, and you then find yourself in search of some answers? Then what? Duncan Callahan is an extremely accomplished runner who won the Leadville 100 in 2008 and 2010. He's set multiple course records at a variety of ultra races, and he has so many other wins, podiums, and top 10 finishes that I finally just stopped counting. And yet, this two-time Leadville 100 champion, this guy who, when he was in high school, could be found putting in 40-mile workouts on roller skis before he would go to class in the morning, and this guy who a few years ago was doing things like running over 2,500 training miles in 100 days, do that math, and this guy who is a Carmichael training systems coach who specializes in ultra running, well, this guy has developed a pretty complex relationship to running. One of the things I really love about Duncan, beyond his humility and his kindness and his intelligence, is his absolute candor. Duncan is a coach, and coaches are supposed to have answers. But while Duncan has some strong opinions about best practices, he refuses to throw out pat answers or phony solutions. Not all questions have simple answers, and I think we do a huge disservice to ourselves and to each other when we act like they do. So I think his perspective is going to spark a lot of good thinking and self-examination that will serve a lot of us well. I met up with Duncan yesterday at the Ice Lab on the campus of Western Colorado University, and I'm excited to share our conversation now with you. Well, I am very happy to be here today with Duncan Callahan at Western Colorado University here in Gunnison, Colorado. And uh, this is a conversation that I've been looking forward to for a while, really since the first time you and I met, which I think was last fall yeah. uh, here at Western yeah. again. Duncan, happy to happy to be doing this today with you. Thanks, Jonathan. It's great to be on the show. Um... I love the mobile podcast studio that you've uh, set up here and the time you took. So if, if you listeners could have seen the work you put in to put this thing together, it was great. So well, it glad was, to be here. It was, uh, it was a slow process, but it also meant that we've been having a really good conversation for a while now. Thank God I'm not quicker, right? That's right. So let's start with the, uh, your backstory. Yeah. Where'd you grow up? Grew up in upstate New York, Glens Falls, New York, on the southern edge of the Adirondacks, and um, that's where I grew up, born and raised, and went through high school there. Um, got into cross-country skiing in high school. It's kind of my first endurance thing, and that made I, I made the jump from there into running uh, with the uh, same coach in high school, coached all three sports, cross-country, cross-country ski, and track and field. 
and so by you know by freshman year in high school i was immersed in kind of that endurance world um and this was in the late 90s so uh, uh eons ago 20 years ago <laughs> But I graduated high school in 2000 and uh, as a 17-year-old and came out here to Western in uh, August of 2000 as a freshman. So, And ha- I'm always interested in that. I mean, what yeah. from New York to Western? Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> well, a couple of things. One, I, you know, I, I was a cross-country ski racer yeah. and I was looking to compete at the NCAA uh, level. And, you know, look around. There's only at the time there's about 45 NCAA ski programs. A third were way too expensive or I didn't have the grades. A third were way too fast. I didn't have the speed. And then there was a third that uh, I could potentially, you know, join a team. And uh, I wanted to go to the West and, and Western really fit that bill. Um, and then coupled with that, I don't know if you come across Brian Smith in your local travels here, but Brian Smith was from my same high school. He's five, six years older than me. And he had come back one of those years to be an assistant coach on the track team. And I thought Brian was the coolest guy in the world. And I think, I think that was my first introduction to Western was Brian Smith. I'm like, man, I want to be like Brian. This huh. is cool. And uh, anyway, that's how I found Western. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. So very tangential, but yep. you just said XC, cross-country skiing, this entire time. <laughs> yep. You did not say Nordic. <laughs> and part of our pre-conversation was me asking Duncan – if you are actually right. a Nordic skier, you do not refer to this as XC skiing or cross-country skiing, right? Right. Well, you know, I think part of me, you know, I've, I've been thinking about this subconsciously since we talked about it. A few minutes. <laughs> I figured. And I think, you know, w- w- XC ski sounds sportier, right? It sounds like, oh, man, I'm an XC skier. I'm going, you know, Nordic, it, sometimes you have like the the image of like, you know, birch bark pants and huge wooden skis and granola and a backpack, you know. And so I go back and forth all the time. I mean, I, it, it's it's Nordic skiing. It is cross-country skiing. Um, XC ski sounds sportier, so sometimes I revert to that as well. So, okay. Yeah. All good, right. Good question. I, I just wanted to make sure if anybody's listening yeah. to this, I don't want your street cred to be, <laughs> you know, lampooned yeah. Yeah, because yeah. out of some – and I, I don't have a take on this. Right. I, I'm happy calling it Nordic or XC, but I – you know, so anyone who was offended <laughs> by hearing Duncan call this, you know, cross country, right. not Nordic, blame me. Well, and in fairness, it's it's a it's a small sport in the U.S. I mean, I think there's something like ten thousand competitive Nord, you know, Nordic ski racers, cross country ski racers who have some sort of license or competitive race entry. So it's really small. And so even asking that question, I think, is you know, three hundred million people are asking the same question. So okay, yeah, okay. Well, we're you know we're here to solve problems and answer questions for those 300 million people. That's what we're doing. So what I don't think I heard you say anything about was running. Yeah. I mean, I, when I was in high school, I I was running, I was, you know, a mediocre uh, high school runner. I could win like a a Tuesday night dual meet against the neighboring high school, but go to the invitationals and I'd be, you know, fifth place, eighth place, 10th place, wherever it was. And then in, in New York, I mean, at the time and probably still today, I mean, high school running is is huge. A, it's a huge state. And B, there's a lot of competition. And so, you know, I think I was running like a 440 mile and that was like, I was like the thousandth fastest kid in New York. I mean, <laughs> and I'm probably not exactly, it's probably pretty close to yeah. that, you know. So like, you know, running wasn't really on my radar from being competitive at any next level. Uh, but what I, as a, as a cross-country skier, as a Nordic skier, uh, I wasn't anything flashy either, but the thing I, I really identified with was the training aspect. And I became in high school a very high volume trainer. 
And of course you can't ski around in the States. And so, you know, I, I would train a lot in the summers. I'd roller ski, I'd, I'd mountain bike, I'd road bike, do a lot of strength training. Uh, but I'd run, I do a lot of running in the summer times in the fall and kind of fell in love with it in that regard. And, and towards the end of high school, I think my junior year, I remember, uh, we had very low snow year and my high school coach took the new skiers to some golf course to ski around and a couple of us older skiers he said oh just go do a run or something and and so i went and ran i ran 30 miles as long as i i think the longest i'd ever run before that was was still pretty long probably 15 or 18 miles or something but i was like i'm gonna go run 30 miles and so i ran from glens falls to this place on lake george called diamond point and back and it was like 15.6 miles one way or something 30 plus miles. And I remember that night, my training log writing, I want to race an ultra. I want to run an ultra. And so that was kind of like the birthplace of, you know, I knew at some point I wanted to do ultra running and I didn't know what that meant or looked like, but it was always in there. What year is that? Just to make sure I'm clear on the timeline when you're saying like, I'm writing, like I want to run an ultra. Yeah, that was probably December of 1998. That was my junior year in high school. Um, I, I can see the training log entry in my, in my head, you know, and, uh, yeah. So 21 years ago, just a few weeks ago, uh, we had on off the couch, Maddie Hart and Gordon Janini. Janini. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yes. 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 We used to joke about that all the time when he was a freshman. So yeah. 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 Sorry, Gordon. I will, I promise though, I will continue to butcher your, butcher <laughs> Janini for a long time. But, uh, but I mean, you know, the whole thing there is we were talking about, you know, that they kind of are on the younger side to be doing this ultra thing. But I mean, you were doing that well, you were in that same boat. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, from a competitive standpoint, I didn't run my first, didn't race my first ultra, uh, until I was 22, maybe 23. So right. How Gordon is now. Um, but yeah, from a training standpoint, I, I would run, uh, 25 to 30 miles every year since junior year in high school, you know, at least once or a couple of times or something. And so I was always, uh, always part of, I remember at some point in high school early on, Runner's World had a uh, lengthy uh, profile on Ann Trayson. Yep. Ann Trayson, of course, is arguably, probably inarguably, the greatest woman ultra runner of all time still. She has course records that are still out there. Uh, won Western States 14 times, Leadville a few times. And and I remember an article, you know, I don't know if I misremember this because she was synonymous with Western States, but I think the article was about Leadville. And so I remember putting, you know, wow, 10,000 feet and that yep. was in my head. And I, I, I can remember all the way back to reading that article and hearing the, the aid station names, May Queen and Winfield and, you know, Fish Hatchery. And that was before I even knew what 100-mile ultra running was or what Leadville, Colorado was or anything. So that's always been circulating in my brain too. So you're at Western. Yeah. You're a Nordic ski racer, and then something happens or there's a shift. When when does this pretty major running part of the story uh, happen? Yeah, good good question. So, you know, I went through to, uh, five years at Western, used a year to redshirt, um, and was never uh, a fast cross-country skier. I mean, I think I was always fourth or fifth guy on our team, um, was 20th place in our region and never qualified for like NCAA championships or anything. 
I uh, love the sport, love the training, but I was never really fast as an orchestra. And so then graduated uh, college and I was like, okay, well, what next, right? And I remember thinking, man, I'm getting a little chunky. And this was like, I don't know, summer after I graduated college and uh, I better start running. And and in the back of my head was, oh, ultra running. And um, kind of, I think I missed a part here, but during college, there was a one-off event in Leadville called the Leadville 100 Ski Race. It was a 100-mile cross-country ski race, uh, skate skiing. And I was 20, and I went and did it. There was nine finishers, and I won it. And uh, that was kind of like, oh, okay. A, I can do 100 miles. It was on Nordic Ski. It was like nine hours. It was super fast. And then, uh, and then too, I was like, okay, Leadville and Altitude and all this stuff. So that kind of helped snowball the idea in my head. And then post-college, I was like, man, well, if I won the ski race, surely I can go win the running race, uh, way more than nine finishers. But right around that time, uh, Tony Krupicka, Krupicka came on the scene, and he was obviously caught a lot of media, media attention, and he was super young. He's probably six months younger than me. And I remember watching, I was like, man, I, I want to do that. And before he won his first Leadville, in my mind, I wasn't even competing yet. I was like, I'm going to set the goal of being the youngest person to win the Leadville 100. And then I checked in. This was like 05, 06. And it was before smartphone. I remember Googling around or something and found, oh, man, Anton just won Leadville. I guess I can't be the youngest winner of all time anymore. But anyway, that kind of set me <laughs> on motion. Like, okay, I'm going to do Leadville. Clearly a 23, 24-year-old can do this and, and succeed. So I want to do that. Yeah. So – you're like, I'm kind of, you know, I want to get into shape and Leadville. And so 2007, I think, is your first, is that right? Your first Leadville? It was, yeah. So uh, 2007 was the first Leadville and I registered in July to give you an idea where the sport was. Like, you know, they had, particularly in Leadville, big permits, that sort of thing. And, you know, I was training, I was competitive. I had won a 50 mile race in the desert in, uh, in the spring set a course record. I was like, okay, I, I got this. And then I didn't until July decide to sign up. I probably didn't have money or something until July to, to actually register. And uh, so, and, and then I did. And now the, you have to register in December and the lottery's in January. So totally different sport. But yeah, 2007, first Leadville. And you do pretty well. I did. I I don't remember what I expected going in. I knew Anton was going to be in a race. And so I figured I I probably didn't have a shot at winning. And uh, but I was in second place the whole day. And then I remember mile 80, the wheels coming off and I basically hiked it in and vomited my way in. And I, I got passed by five or six guys. I think I ended up seventh place. Um, yeah, it was a, it was a good experience. So it, it showed me that this is doable. Uh, I just need a little bit more time. Which you proved the next year. Yep. Yep. Trained. Trained like a madman. One of the sparks for me, uh, you know, I did the race and had a few other things going on in life. And that November of 2007 was the Olympic trials marathon uh, for the 2008 Beijing Olympics. And I remember going to an office I was working at, at the time. I didn't have, I didn't, I didn't own a computer. Didn't, didn't have one in my house. Going to an office I was working at, at the time to watch the live stream of the Olympic trials marathon. And that was the year Ryan Hall won the Olympic trials marathon dominant fashion. 
was the year Ryan Shea passed away with a heart attack in the middle of the marathon. And it just sparked something in me. And I remember I went on this tear, like I trained like 2,500 miles in the next hundred days, something, you know, 20, 25 miles a day, something absurd. And that set the trajectory for uh, being fit enough to to win Leadville in 2008. So yeah, yeah it's pretty neat. <laughs> yeah. You've got a pretty interesting history and relationship with Leadville. You are you are a coach, uh, a CTS coach, a Carmichael Training Systems coach. And I love on your bio, it just says like Leadville 100 seven-time finisher. <laughs> it also says two-time champion, right, but right. it says seven-time finisher. And I was like, wait a second. And I went back and looked up the results. And it seems like it should have said putting seven-time finisher, like I could technically be a finisher. You were doing a little bit better than that. I mean, right. your results were coming in. Yeah. A lot of number of podiums, a lot of top tens. Was it all top tens? It, uh, it was until uh, 2017, which ah. I, I made a comeback in 2017, and I just fell apart and hiked it into, um, I don't know, 70th place finish or something, 26 hours. And interestingly enough, Gordon was pacing me in that in that race, and I was just walking, zombie walking, and Gordon huh. was with me. And I would take a nap every five minutes on the trail. Gordon would wake me up, and it's become this good running joke between me and Gordon. So it's been good. That's pretty funny yeah. because Gordon, I told Gordon that we were going to be talking, and yeah. he his one thing, I was like, <laughs> let me know if there's anything you want me to ask yeah. Duncan about. He's like, uh, ask him about 2017 <laughs> Leadville. So yeah. I was like, you jerk, Gordon. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Well, Gordon was, man, I don't know how he did it. He stayed awake the whole time, but got me through it. Yeah. So you... You win Leadville in 2008. 2009, you're third place? Yeah, 2009, third place. Uh, the sport was really shifting at this point. You know, the uh, there's many guys in their 20s uh, in the top 10 that year. And that was the year I think Born to Run came out, Chris, Chris yep. McDougall's book. Um, and then Krupichka was there. Lance Armstrong was doing Leadville. Weens had just beaten Lance the year before. Like, like Leadville had some vibe to it, had some yeah. big buzz, and uh, yeah, 2009 podium, and then uh, came back in 2010, won it again. So, by the way, 2008 Leadville, I I just had a conversation with yeah. Dave Weens yeah, yeah. like a week or two ago. Yeah, I think that it needs to officially go on the books that the 2008 Leadville 100 should yeah. be renamed the Gunnison, Gunnison. 100, <laughs> right? Yeah, Duncan wins. Yeah. On the run, Dave wins on the ride. Like, come on, people. This is only, let's give credit where credit is due. It was really cool that year. I remember, uh, funny story about Dave. Okay, all right. So, so 2008, so, so when I was in college in, you know, 03, 04, 05, towards the end of college, I was babysitting for local families. And I remember Weens had a big holiday party at his house. And I was the babysitter for like 30 kids, <laughs> right? And so then fast forward to 2008 Leadville, Weens had just beaten Lance in the 100. I'm winning the 100 mile run. I'm coming into the finish. No one knows who the heck I am. And my crew's there at the finish line. The announcer's like, wait, 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 are you guys his crew? Yeah, yeah. Give, give us something to say about Duncan. Who, who is this guy? And, and someone off the cuff just made the joke, oh, well, it's funny. He used to babysit Weens' as kids. And so here I am crying out of pure joy, greatest moment in my athletic life, coming across the finish line, and the announcer goes, and here comes Dave Ween's babysitter. And so that was the, the, the dawning of my new uh, my newfound success. So 
That's, a, um, yeah. that's a true story. True story. Uh, yeah. Here come here comes Dave Ween's babysitter. But Dave didn't have anything to do with that, did he? He did not. Okay. And to Ween's credit, he and I probably hadn't talked for three years. I hadn't seen him for years yeah. before that. And the next day he gave me a call and I don't know how he got my number, but he gave me a call and told me congrats. It was awesome. That that's stuck cool. with me. So yeah. yeah. Oh man, Dave Ween's that's maybe gonna be the title of this episode. Dave Ween's babysitter. <laughs> yeah. Yes, good. <laughs> I love it. <clears throat> love it. So, all right. Well, you just said, I mean, that was now granted, that's pretty early in your, your right. running and competitive right. career. But I am curious in this time frame from let's say 2007 to I don't know how, how long we want to go. Let's talk about, I don't know, the, over the next decade, right? Yeah. yeah. For you, as you think back about this time, what were the one or two highlights, whether those are victories or whatever? Yeah, the things that stick out certainly were uh, Leadville wins. That first one in particular, is, it was pretty emotional. It's super tight. Andy Skirka, I, you know, he's involved in everything, fastback yeah. runner. Um, he and I were 60 seconds apart with 12 miles to go. And, like, you know, it, that was a high, high achievement. 2010, Leadville was great. I remember uh, 2011, uh, I was really fit in 2011. And had a uh, probably the best day of running my life was up in the Pacific Northwest. I was up there for a friend's wedding, and I did this 50 mile race called the Sun Mountain 50, and I just felt invincible the entire day, and just that was sticks out in my brain still to this day. Next year, 2012, I did my first uh, international race. I went over to Mount Fuji in Japan. Uh, I was running for Vask uh, Footwear at the time, and they had a big relationship over in Japan. And how'd you do there? I was 11th. I got lost, and uh, and there's a lot, but it was it was great. It was a great experience, and running internationally was was awesome. But yeah, so you're winning these races, you're yeah. podiuming around. I mean, and then something kind of happens. You end up kind of walking away from racing. When did that happen, and what? led to that? Yeah, good question. Uh, I remember, uh, you know, in 2011, we had our first daughter and, you know, I spent my 20s, you know, making between coaching a small junior ski team and running, I was making 19 grand and free shoes, you know, and right around the time of having our first daughter decided, okay, we need to have some sort of career, some sort of, you know, target financially, et cetera. So I started working at Western at that time. We had, so we had kids, started working more. Um, and at the same time, I remember doubling down, like, okay, I can, I can do it all. You know, I can do, I can add all of this family responsibility, work responsibility to my life, and I can still train exactly the same. In fact, I was trying to train more during the time. And at the time, I was getting more restrictive in my eating I don't think I was ever really disordered, but you know, I'm sure somebody would say I was, you know? And uh, so I was, I was getting weird. Anyway. Well, no, yeah, if yeah. you don't mind, yeah. I mean, say more about that. I mean, obviously eating and running is yeah. a big thing. When you yeah. say you were getting more restrictive. Yeah. So, I mean, basically until 2011, it was any, eat everything and anything. Um, and I knew a race weight that I was on it. And then I had some stomach issues during all those five years. And I was like, okay, I need to get better at this. And so I, I adopted a paleo diet, which I think was actually great. And I think is a great way of eating. 
And at some point going into 2013, I became, I, I gravitated towards the low carb intermittent fasting version of paleo. And so, you know, I was eating 30 grams of carbohydrates a day. I was, which, which I, again, that may be an issue, but I think the issue with that is I was just under eating. Right. And so I felt great. My performances were great and I lost weight, but over the duration, like it just compounds and you have an energy deficit all the time. That combined with life stress, waking up at 3 a.m., the kids, you know, like all of those things, I just didn't handle it well. And so 2013, summertime, I kind of had a, I was on on track for racing at Leadville again and some other events. And I just pulled the plug in June. I said, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I feel horrible. You know, I went to naturopath doc and, you know, I had some adrenal dysfunction. And, uh, but in general, and, and certainly now with some reflection, just complete, uh, uh, you know, burnout, just, just an inability to handle all of the things I was trying to do. And I didn't realize, I didn't admit that at the time, but certainly now with some perspective, oh yeah, like this wasn't just a training thing and just an eating thing. It was those things combined with, um, you know, the life stress and I wasn't handling all of that well. And so all of it compounded to fatigue and, you know, mental burnout. Um, and yeah. And so, Kind of shut it down 2013 and 2013 you are you're how old uh in 2013 i was 30 okay uh turning 31 at the end of the year i mean so what are some of the things that you would have done different well yeah i would say the the people that i've seen that have succeeded at anything in life have have focused on it right and for some reason i thought i was immune to that like I can focus on this during the four hours I need to focus on it. And then I can focus on my job, you know, and I wanted to be professional and high achieving at everything. Um, and so I would have said, I would have rewound and re and either not gone into a full-time career or I would have said, okay, I can still run. I can still be competitive, but here's what I need to do in, in order to make that happen. And that would have been, you know, shorten the season. Like you couldn't, I couldn't be on from February until October. I would have shortened the season. I would have short, I would have lowered my volume probably by 30% instead of trying to increase it by more, you know? And then, yeah, from a dietary perspective, uh, I would not have gone down the low carb intermittent fasting route. I would have stayed, I would have stayed paleo. I think that's a great way to eat. It's whole food. It's tons of vegetables, it's a ton of quality fat, ton of quality protein. Um, but I don't think, um, yeah, the low carb thing, I think got me in trouble at the time. And there's the low carb zealots out there are going to listen to that. And they're like, well, you just did it wrong. And I'm like, yeah, that's my point. If people can do it wrong. Yeah. Like, and it's the life, like I was doing things, like I was, I remember like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to wake up. I'm going to start waking up at 3 a.m in order to get my training volume in before seven so I could be home with my family before I went to work so I could train in the afternoon before, you know. And that's great. And I know there's there's people that can do it, or I think. <laughs> um, but I didn't, I didn't do it well. And uh, it caught up with me pretty quick. So then there's 2014. Yeah, and so basically 2014 was me just doubling down on the same <laughs> Same shit, you know, like uh, when something's I'm just gonna, not working, I'm just go harder, do it better and go harder and be more restrictive and more training and more racing. And, um, and that, 
you know, actually, I, I ended and I was trying to do a, a, a daily running streak, and this, and it was actually going okay. Like I was doing, I had a great sprint. Training was going well. I was kicking my buddy Tim's butt in long runs and with all this stuff. Um, it was going well, and then I had this opportunity for a promotion here at Western to a position that I don't know if Gary, Gary, you listening? Uh, Gary's my boss. Uh, to a position I wasn't qualified or skilled for, and I didn't, I didn't have an understanding of the breadth of it. Um, and then, of course, when I got the new position, I just jumped in with all, of, you know, everything I had into that too. And so by the end of, you know, by fall, I was I falling apart again as an athlete. You know, just completely fried, burned out, exhausted. There were some physical things going on during those times, but you know, a lot of it was mental, a lot of it was recovery, a lot of it was all the life stressors together. So. Yeah. So 2013, 2014, pretty rough for you. Pretty this... rough. Pretty rough. And yeah, and 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 again, as 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 I've as I progressed into 2015 and beyond, 2015 I even tried to double down even harder again, and it didn't work, obviously. And I mean, this is just I gosh, I hope there's other people out there who are as dumb as me, you know, like <laughs> Like this, I think that a lot. And like most of the days, I I hope yeah. I pray that that's true of myself. And then 2016, I took off from racing. I was still doing some some things. Uh, I was I was with Ultra, the brand Ultra at the time, and still under contract with them, doing a few other things. But I wasn't racing. But in the back of my mind, I was like, okay, here we go, time for time to do this thing again. And that brought us to 2017, which I tried one more comeback and I remember like I knew going into 2017 like okay this is if this doesn't go well this this is it you know and to, for the most part I tried doing the same you know double down even harder be more disciplined be more focused and same result you know I was fried by June and by August I was walking it in at Leadville and I was 26 hour finish and you know and that was it I ended up uh, uh, that summer's my only DNF, 2017. My only did not finish was in the Leadville Trail Marathon, of all things. Um, ended up with an IV in my arm, and then they had to take you to the hospital by race protocol and all this stuff. And I was like, what am I doing? Yep. I, sh I should have shut it down right then because I knew by that point, I was like, okay, this isn't going well. Yeah. <laughs> but I, per I, I stuck it out through the, through the 100, and uh, yeah, yeah. And that was it. That was that was. That was the end of my running, my my attempt to be a competitive runner, at least so far. At least so far. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So you said something fascinating to me before we started recording. We started talking about identity in general. Right. And then more narrowly, issues of, you know, when does one get to identify as a runner? Mm. And Maddie Hart said this to me a couple days ago. She said, yeah, I'm not, I'm actually not sure that Duncan would even call himself a runner. Hmm. I like almost fell over. I mean, this is a guy who's won Leadville twice, finished seven times, podiumed and won many big deal races, sponsored by Ultra. Uh, it's like, dude, if you're not 
a runner. What are we doing here? And in right. fact, you said to me literally before we started this conversation, you're like, well, yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean, I'm going running this afternoon. Does that count? <laughs> right. And I like blurted out, yes. Right. So talk this, there is something complicated going on here. Yeah. When, when you said uh, during an off-air conversation, you, you were saying, um, you know, mountain bikers don't have this. Hey, I'm a mountain biker. I, I'm, I right. go ride my mountain bike. I'm a climber. I go climb. Runners like we. Uh, I'm not. Uh, no, I'm not a runner. I just go out and I go jog. I'm not a runner though, you know. Um, and I've never thought about that, so I'm gonna chew on that here. But I, I think there's some element to that that's really interesting. I'll give me an example. Uh, a month ago, I was in Leadville for the official Leadville Race Series training camp for the run, and I've I've worked that as a as a camp guide for probably eight or nine times over over the past 12 years. And this is the first time I wasn't also an ath- a competitive athlete at the time. It was the best camp I've been a part of. And, it, and it, it, A, kudos to Leadville Race Series. They've done a great job trying to make that a better camp product for their, for their athletes. Um, great work with that. But I think a lot of it was me. Like I showed up at that camp as a coach who happens to jog, run daily for fitness. You know, there was no mixed. I, I wasn't a coach who's a competitive athlete. It, it was just I was an athlete. Now I'm a coach, and so like it felt great. I was able to relate to people better, talk to people better. I felt more approachable. Um, I felt just more engaged. Um, and so I, there's something identity there that needs to be teased out. I think part of it too is like the mix between trail running, road running, racing, etc. You know, I love, and it's gonna particularly for your listeners, you know, this is a very outdoor trail minded community. You know, I actually identify with runner's world a lot more than like trail runner mag. Um, trail runner mag seems a lot more like adventure explore runner's world. Even if it's, they're talking about some 35 minute 5k walk jogger, there's an element of transformation in like every little tip or story or profile um, and I just identify with that. It's like an, a, a transformative element. Um, uh, you are transforming from a four-hour marathoner to a three-hour, 30-minute marathoner. You are transforming from the couch to a 5K. You are transforming to Olympic trial. Like everything in it has that kind of transformative element. I, I, there's going to be a lot of people who disagree with that, I think, but that's how I've identified with it. In these grappling with these notions and questions about I- identity, again, expanding back out, not just am I a runner or not, but like, who am I as a human being? One of the things that you and I talked about was that there is a bit of a thing in the ultra community about ultra saved me, Mm. right? And you brought this up in a really interesting way that Look, like that's fantastic if that's true for the people for whom, you know, they found yeah. that these long runs, you know, really helped helped them and right. helped them find who they are. But somebody like you right. who did start really young, who was experiencing success at the top, now you're kind of finding yourself in like, I don't know, what do I do with this? And I <laughs> keep doubling down and that's not That doesn't work. Yeah. That doesn't work. And so I don't know. Yeah, I mean, where this is kind of started for me is, you know, again, I, the, the transformative element of Runner's World articles as as one thing. You know, I've always identified with and uh, like the 
the, those like the low level grassroots stories of people who get into ultra running uh, or get into endurance sport of any kind, but then simply it seems like they gravitate towards ultra. You know, they've come from like drug addiction or mental health issues or trauma or major life change. And they found the sport. The famous examples, you know, David Goggins, his book was was awesome um, recently. Uh, David Clark, he's got a couple books out. Uh, great stories, guys who have found themselves via ultra activity. And there's always a dietary component and there's some sort of spiritual element as well. Rich Roll was the one. Um, he's got a great platform now. I love listening to his podcast. Mm -hmm. um, but Rich Roll, he wrote a book in, in 2012 called Finding Ultra. It's been on my shelf for five years. I just read it uh, like last week. Great, great book. And I think he just came out with a, an expanded version. Uh, anyway, his first ultra competition, uh, as he writes about in that book, he was 41 years old. So he he goes he wakes up on on the eve of his 40th birthday, changes his diet, changes his lifestyle. Change, you know, a year later, a year and a half later, he's running, he's uh, doing a triathlon called Ultraman. Uh, he's 41. Well, I'm 36. I'm five years today. I am five years younger than he was in his first ultra competition. And I've been off for two years. And then before that, I had 17 years of endurance activity, 14 years of, of significant ultra uh, work. You know, in 11 years of ultra running, I ran 55 to 60,000 miles. You know, I found ultra, you know, and yet here I am on, on, on the, the precipice of my middle years. Like, okay, well, what now? Like, what, what, about, what about me? Like, I can't. Am I going to go and start doing drugs and start drinking hard? I mean, right. go the reverse. Am I going to go the reverse? The reverse rich roll. And you know, and then there's all this context out there about, well, you know, pursuing money and status and job. You know, that's not the answer. So what, you know, and, and I know, I mean, there's going to be people listening to this like, yeah, well, it's a no-brainer, you know. But I don't know. I I just think there I think it's not just me. There clearly there's a generation now of kids who grew up in the 90s who got involved in sports and then got involved in, in endurance activity early and then jumped into ultra. There's a whole group of us who are now in our mid to late thirties, kids, career, midlife angst. Like, what do we turn to? We're, we're already burned out from the, from the ultra stuff. Like what's next for us. And I don't know where that goes. It, it, I would assume there's probably a theme out there of people going that way, or maybe it's just me because I didn't really have a life plan, you know? Other guys, when they're doing all this stuff in their 20s or going to grad school and they're living in their van. And me, I was having a family, not going to grad school, you know. So I didn't really have a plan for post-running. It seems like some of these other guys and, and gals did too. But We're definitely going to have to have another conversation. I think yeah. basically what I hear you say is you're kind of on an interesting journey right now. Yeah. Interestingly, it sounds like you might actually be thinking about returning to some competitions. Is that true? I mean, I don't, I don't, yeah. in terms of returning to competing, trying to be competitive in ultra competitions, I don't think so. Um, it does rattle around in my brain. I don't necessarily miss the races. I don't, um, it's going to sound hard. I don't necessarily miss like the community. I, I know that sounds harsh, but um, there's elements I do certainly, but you know, the thing I miss, the, the thing I miss, right. And maybe this is more of that, that angst is like, 
you know, it's, it's straight line trajectory training for, you know, an endurance competition, particularly something in ultra it's, it's myopic. It's very, it's individual. I'm not coordinating with other people. I know it sounds selfish. Um, you know, it's point A to point B steps of work in between, and then you get to a finish line. Like there's something about that, that administrative life, if anyone out there works in some sort of mid-management role, uh, it's not that linear, you know, having kids certainly isn't linear. Relationships aren't linear. Like, and so I think at some point, the feeling I have towards returning to some sort of training and, and competition is more to try to find some sort of linear <laughs> progression because I think that's valuable for the brain to say, okay, we're, we're starting at A, we're moving to B, here's steps along the way. And once we get to B, we can hit pause or we can hit stop or we can hit reset or, you know, something along those those lines. That's the element I miss. You know, when I think back to it, it's the, the early morning long runs um, before work or before anything, like the process element of that, that's the thing I miss. So I don't know. We'll see about competition. I don't, I would be shocked if I ended up trying to be competitive in ultra again, put to you that way. But you are going on a run this afternoon. I am going on a run this afternoon with a couple guys, uh, Josh and Bill. Josh Eberly coaches our trail running team here in Mountain Sports, and Bill is the assistant coach. Both these guys are, you know, incredible community people, family people, kids, plugged in, uh, pretty selfless guys. I, I admire them and, and respect them in a lot of ways, and they're really good runners. So, huh. yeah, it's good. And I remember, you know, when when we first met last fall, I remember just thinking, like, why aren't you, you know, you're the Nordic ski coach. What? Why are you not? Right. A, I don't know, officially or or maybe you are unofficially. Right. I mean, you're hanging out with Gordon. Well, because Gordon turns out is a really good Nordic, Nordic skier. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, damn all these talented people I'm right. surrounded by. <laughs> they make me feel so inadequate. But right, uh, right. well, you know, as a as a director, as an administrative director, uh, we looked around in 2014, 15. So okay, we need to double down on our coaching, and we need for our, all of our programs: big mountain free ride, mountain bike, trail run. Uh, Nordic, Alpine, and so we we spent a lot of money uh, on hiring quality people. And uh, at the time, it's 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 relatively easier in this valley to find quality running coaches, quality um, uh, free ride, big mountain, uh, mountain bike. It's much harder Nordic and Alpine. Nordic and Alpine are pretty niche in the world, and particularly in this valley. Uh, it's I mean, this isn't. This isn't Summit County. This isn't, you know. And so we need a, a Nordic coach, and I missed it. I have a Nordic coach background, and so effectively uh, decided to start coaching in, in our Nordic team again. And that left, you know, no time for me to coach other sports. And fortunately, it worked out well that Josh was coaching on the NCAA side. They had a transition on the NCAA running coaching side, and Josh was available, and we jumped at that And because he's been – Awesome. I mean, he took he took he's taken our trail running team in mountain sports from used to be six kids on the couch in the lobby of the field house waiting for me to come out of my office and give them you know give them a high five to uh, we have forty three kids on the roster last year we had uh, eight of those athletes just went to Austria uh, with Maddie and Gordon were two of them 
to to race uh, the Infinite Trail series that Adidas Terex puts on. Uh, we have athletes run 100 miles. We have the bulk of our athletes running half marathon and marathon distance. And he's taken that group from a motley crew to this this real deal program with high-end athletes. And then also like giving the opportunity to kids who have who are late bloomers to really give them some structure around their running. And it's it's been amazing. So in thinking of the spot you're in now and thinking about, you know, high school students or college students, mm. do you have any kind of general lessons or advice um given your that just yeah. born out of your own experience yeah i do i mean i i think uh one big takeaway is you know just focus your life it doesn't have to be you don't have to be this monk uh that you know lives in a shack and eats rice and runs all day you know but by that i mean i mean you don't have to be you know if if you have a limited budget in your life and you want to do all these ultra running things like you probably can't afford the new macbook every other year like it's okay to have a 7 year old macbook you know those sorts of things so focusing your 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 financial resources and then focusing your time resources like it's okay to say no and a lot of these kids like you know Gordon and Maddie are prime examples i mean they're they're coveted on this campus in terms of hey can you help with this club can you help lead this research project can you help with this organization, hey, here's another summer job, here's another summer job. Here. And so you've got to be able to say no to the good opportunities too. And I think that's one of the hardest things that, you know, that's, a, that's the thing I struggled with. That was, that was my whole burnout, just doing everything. Um, you've got to be able to focus and say no. I had, I had a blog post up years ago, um, and w- one of the big takeaways out of that blog post was, um, you know, if you're training for the uh Havelina hundred, which is the the second biggest hundred in North America. It's in Arizona first last weekend of October, first week in November. Uh not the time to start playing flag football that fall. You know, like it's okay to put that on hold. But there's at there's people I've coached a lot who take on more and more and more as they're training for something big. And it always leads hmm. to either underperforming or not performing at all, injury, burnout, fatigue, et cetera. So focus your life, focus your time. Don't be a monk. You don't have to be weird about it, but be okay saying no to stuff. Yeah. Hmm. This is fun. I appreciate the conversation and your candor and uh, really looking forward to revisit some of these topics with you. So um, we'd love to come back. Thanks, Jonathan. Again, go run and uh, hope yeah. it's hope it's a good one. Today. Yeah, me too. Thanks, man. <laughs> all right. You take care. See ya. That's it for this edition of Off the Couch. Thanks to Duncan for the conversation, and I am already really looking forward to the next time. Thanks also to Luke Alley for producing this episode, and thanks to you for listening. If you are enjoying these Off the Couch episodes, we would very much appreciate it if you would leave us a nice rating or review in iTunes. Please share this episode with your friends, and leave us a comment in the show notes to this episode on Blister to let us know what you think. Until next time, keep moving forward, and we will talk to you again next week.